This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge is sponsored by IATA Training. More than one million students have boosted their aviation careers with them. Visit www.iata.org training to discover how they can help your aviation career. That's IATA.org training. If the world needed a reminder of just how uncertain the airline industry is, that reminder was delivered bluntly by the governments of Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Egypt when they all together decided earlier this month to sever relations with Qatar. The rift includes a travel and trade ban, and of course this has significantly impacted Qatar Airways, one of the big three international carriers in the Gulf region. And as we've discussed on the show before, the Gulf carriers weren't enjoying the best of times before this dispute, which just adds to the tension of an already tense story. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is the never-tense Seth Kaplan, Vice President <laughs> of Airline Weekly. We're going to sh- start the show in the Gulf region, looking at how this blockade impacts Qatar Airways and, of course, Emirates, Etihad, and anybody else who's affected. We'll also talk about one of Southwest's fast-growing but challenging markets, and we'll take the pulse of the Paris Air Show, now underway. We're also underway in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. We're starting the show with the Qatar situation. And before I go too far, perhaps this goes without saying, but we're not going to talk too much about the politics of the situation. We'll leave that to the mainstream media. Rather, we're interested in how it all affects airlines. One of the things that struck me about this was the use of the word blockade. That is the right word, but what struck me was how that is a word I haven't heard in a long time. Seth, did you get that feeling? Yeah, it's... it's uh pretty dramatic what they've done uh you know sealing off the the land border between uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar you know obviously there are, there are more isolated countries in the world um but uh in terms of one that was very much connected to the global economy still is uh, to the global economy largely uh yeah hard 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 to uh recall uh in, in recent history um something so uh unexpectedly dramatic you know where you where you just uh i don't think many people saw it coming we sure didn't can you recall any other time in history where where an airline was so impacted by a blockade well uh i guess with the cuba news this past week that the uh you know that some of the restrictions are coming back uh cubana right um you know used to fly to miami and then then of course that uh uh embargo what 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 Castro always called the bloqueo, the blockade, uh, started, and um, you know, and, and uh, they pretty soon after weren't able to uh, to serve the U.S. anymore. So that'd, that'd be one example, and there are others. Uh, but yeah, in terms of an airline that, um, like few others in the world, you know, really, really does connect the world. Uh, you know, 150 destinations or whatever it is. Um, it, it yeah, no, not, can't recall anything like this. Yeah, usually the airlines are the solution to the blockade, um, going back to World War II, yeah, uh, and not the victims. <laughs> now, of course, not all blockades are the same, and this one is rather leaky. First, it's four countries where Qatar Airways is denied entry, but it is only four, 
at least as important is that they can't fly over these countries. And so Saudi Arabia and the UAE with their borders combined basically affects flights from Doha that head either south or west. That's a big problem. But is it a stranglehold? Well, it's it's pretty significant. I mean, there, there are places where, uh, you know, Khartoum is is a good example. Flying from there to Sudan uh, up to Doha, and you could go on you know, any any of those sort of flat tra- flight tracking sites, flight radar twenty four, what it is, um, and and uh, you know you'll see. I mean, it's basically something like doubles the length of the flight. They have to fly all the way around because that's one where you know it's a very short flight if you can if you can fly over to those other countries. And so, uh, you know, I mean, number one, it's very expensive to do. And number two, you know, who among, you know, the, the traveling public wants to put up with that? Um, you know, the much longer total journey time, I mean, you know, assuming you have a choice of connecting either in Doha or in, you know, Dubai or somewhere else, uh, when you have those other choices. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty significant challenge. Uh, but, um, you know, they haven't thus far, uh, it, you know, canceled any any of those other markets because of it. They, for now, are just flying around doing what they have to do. And how many destinations did Qatar Airways have in those four countries? Eighteen. Uh, you know, so that, that's a lot. You know, this is an airline. Remember, it has a, a sizable, uh, narrow body fleet of of uh, you know, Airbus aircraft. So. Uh, different from uh, you know Emirates in that regard, which is an all wide body airline, it, it too serves um, uh, destinations within the region. But um, Qatar Airways had really made that a big part of its business, kind of um, uh, especially uh, from secondary cities in Saudi, for for example. I mean, look, um, you know, somebody in Dubai doesn't need to connect in Doha to go very many places. Um, but yeah, those secondary cities where there are no nonstops uh, to, uh, uh, to to a lot of the world, where they're going to have to connect somewhere, um, and uh, you know, Doha is as good a place as any. Uh, the, you know that that was an important part of their business. And Jason, uh, the seats to those four destinations, I, I looked went into Do and looked back uh, a year. So you know this. You know, right now they can't fly to any of those eighteen places. Um, a year ago, those seats accounted for seventeen percent of their total seats, uh, a far fewer, uh, a far smaller percentage of, of available seat miles, of course, because they're very short flights. But the point is that that fed their network, uh, and, and so you can imagine uh, that that this is having a a very severe impact on 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 their business when all of a sudden you you know seventeen percent of of your of your seats essentially can't be flown anymore. Obviously they're adjusting how they can, but you can't uh, you know facing what they're facing in general. You you can't just backfill that. You know you're you're, you're going to suffer. And of course, there's an economic component here, which represents a third problem. Airlines aren't the only ones affected by the blockade, and all the lost trade could harm Qatar's home economy. We'll leave that, you know, how much it damages that economy, we'll leave, we'll leave that to the economists. But uh, the airline question is, uh, does the fact that Qatar Airways, t- because they tend to act as a global hub, does that insulate it a bit from the economic problems in its home country? 
Yeah, it's kind of hard to say how that nets out, right? Because on one hand, you're right. Uh, you know, if they were depending all on local traffic, and and uh, you know, now there are people who uh, either aren't allowed to go there or, or, or don't want to. Um, you know, that well, sure, that part of it's not as much of a problem when the vast majority of your of your traffic, you know, the, 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 yeah, the upwards of seventy five percent is 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 connecting traffic. Uh, but on the other hand, it goes back to what we just said a minute ago. Well, you know, so so much of that connecting traffic um, is from places they're not allowed to fly anymore. Uh, and then plus you have what we talked about even even earlier, the fact that they're you know it's becoming harder for them to offer competitive uh, journey times because. Uh, a lot of our flights are taking longer than they should because they can't fly, uh, you know, routes that make sense anymore. So, uh, yeah, hard to say how that all nets out. Um, but uh, it, it's it's uh, yeah, it, it, it's clearly not a good thing. I mean, you know, this is all at this point them trying to make lemonade from lemons, but um, uh, it, it, it it's it's a brutal situation for them. Speaking of making lemonade, Qatar's CEO, Akbar al-Bakr, true to his style, said the airline will overcome this and it won't impact aircraft orders at all. What do you make of that? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I guess if your owners are willing to uh, pour unlimited amounts of capital to your company, uh, whatever company you are, uh, then you can keep ordering whatever you want, right? Um, so, you know, it. it uh, so we can't sit here and say that that won't be true and that they won't order more aircraft. I mean, look, uh, you know, they're they're the fleet growth of the Arabian Airlines has has uh, has has already slowed, uh, although although less so at this airline at Qatar than 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 at the other two. But uh, yeah, I mean, so it, it, it it's it's hard to imagine that right now. Uh, well, put it this way, they they haven't. Uh, you know, they're they're obviously uh, they're. Manufacturers ready and willing to uh, take orders this week in, in Paris, and uh, they sure haven't placed any, you know, and that's a d- d- notable reason for for uh, the, the the general sno- slowness. And and you mentioned to me you want to talk about them more later, but uh, you know, wide body orders and so forth. But um, anyway, so sure, I I, I I suppose they could possibly order more uh, more aircraft. Doesn't seem like the uh, like the economic environment right now. Um, would 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 justify that given just what's going on in the region and and what's going on for them uh, in, in in particular. All right, moving out to the region. Uh, what do you imagine Emirates and Etihad are thinking right now? Well, uh, you know, it's it's another one of those things where yeah, sure, um, there are some people now who who have one fewer choice, right? If you're, if you're in, I mentioned before, sort of those, you know, s- secondary Saudi Arabian cities, you know, where, where you could have flown any of these airlines. And, and now one of, one of your viable choices is gone uh, in a narrow sense. That's uh, that's helpful for those two airlines. Uh, but in a broader sense, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine that, that sort of having countries in the region disconnect, you know, to some degree, disconnected from the global economy, uh, can can be uh, can be good for anybody. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think we're going to look back a year from now and, and talk about how this was a turning point for uh, for those two airlines. I mean, Etihad is is uh, is a this is a complete mess right now. I mean, that's that's rather clear. Emirates uh, kind of always the best off of the three. Um, but going through some of the toughest times of uh, of, of of its own history, and um, yeah, I mean, I. I I I don't think that they root for political standoffs and uh, political and, e- and thus economic standoffs in in their home region. 
I want to also talk about Qatar Airways' financial footing before the embargo, but real quick, let's thank our sponsor, IATA Training. Did you know that 36 million new aviation-related jobs will be needed in the next two decades? Offering over 350 aviation-related courses, IATA can help you take advantage of this huge opportunity and boost your career. And even better, if you register more than three months in advance, you can save 20% on course fees. Terms and conditions apply. Visit iata.org slash training for details and start shaping your career in aviation. That's iata.org slash training. Even before the blockade, Qatar Airways was seeing its prospects decline a bit at a similar clip to the other Gulf carriers. They just reported their full-year results, which included a 5% operating profit margin, which was down from 8% the year before, and... Even that 5% comes with a sizable asterisk. Is that fair to say? Sizable might be an understatement, Jason. I mean, it, 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 uh, it's basically a profit excluding cost. Uh, you know, uh, a, a lot of um, what they call general administrative expenses, they put below the line. In other words, they didn't include them in their operating results, uh, included them just, just in their net results. Uh, we're talking about things like um, labor costs. Uh, as well as you know, aircraft depreciation. I, I mean, almost every other airline uh, you know, considers those operating costs. Um, so even, I mean, even before sort of considering some of the other, let, let's be charitable and say unique things about their business, which I'll get to in a second. Um, even just sort of putting those things where they go for every other airline, you're already at a negative three percent margin. Um, you know, which which nowadays, considering how well the global industry is doing overall, um, you know, puts them you know, in the, oh, what was it, bottom 10 out of 75 airlines in the world that that uh, that we track. Let me, uh, yeah, let's see how far from the bottom were they. We did a, uh, a profitability ranking in this week's issue, top to bottom of, of those 75. So, yeah, so uh, they were... Um, yeah, actually fourth from the bottom, you know, number number 72 of 75 in the world. Um, so that's already pretty bad. Um, and then beyond that, you, you look at some of the things that they do as a company. Uh, you know, they have the airport duty-free concession. Uh, so in other words, they run, I'm not talking about the duty-free that you sell on board that all airlines sell, but they also, um, they have the duty-free concession at Doha's airport. Uh, that ran uh, more than a 100% uh, uh, margin. Uh, they have other businesses, which you can't see exactly how well they're doing. But for example, they have the exclusive license to sell all the alcohol in the country of Qatar um, and, you know, and so on. So, uh, you know, the, the airline itself almost certainly did uh, considerably worse than that negative 3% margin. And again, that's before everything that's uh, that's now happening. Um, this this is an airline that uh, uh, you know, obviously in a different situation than some others. Uh, you know, in, in the sense that it's 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 shareholder uh, has has you know broader goals in mind in terms of the purpose of the airline. But in terms of how uh, how is the airline doing? Not well. So all in all, in light of that, what's your gut tell you about Qatar's situation? That it's just a question of how uh, long their uh, shareholders, you know, the, the government of the country, is 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 willing to uh, is willing to tolerate this. Um, look, uh, they shut down Al Jazeera America. Uh, you know, 
what's it a little more than a year ago now uh they had this grand plan to expand al jazeera is is uh uh you know some people sort of think of it as this this pan arab you know news station but it but it is you know it is owned by the uh by the qatari government um and so there was always al jazeera english has existed for a long time the english language uh feed but then they started an operation in america they wanted to compete against uh uh, you know CNN and 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 others in in the U.S. Um, and they invested a lot in it, and viewership wasn't very high, and they shut it down. Uh, you know they they just weren't willing to tolerate those losses. Now the airline, obviously, they consider even more core to sort of the overall uh, mission of of the country, and and um, they've they've you know I mean here we are, like I say, more than a year since what I just described, and then no sign yet of of, of uh, of, of pulling in the reins at the airline um you know if, if anything it's it's done less to sort of trim things than than the other two arabian gulf carriers but um that is basically what the decision comes down to for uh you, you know it's related to the the fiscal situation of the country and how long the government is is uh is willing to uh to to see this go on uh but you know to, to, to be clear what's going on now is just the i mean it's 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 an awful blow um, but uh, it's it's just the latest and sort of a, a, a an ongoing deterioration of the prospects for an airline that you know I'm not sure was was ever in in a you know all that great of a, a position to begin with. Let's move on to Airline Weekly's cover story this week, in which we look at various battleground markets that Southwest is taking on. Let's talk for a moment about one of those, which is Fort Lauderdale, where they're expected to grow 33% this year, according to DO schedule data. Going forward, what is Fort Lauderdale going to mean to Southwest and its competitors competitors there, um, Spirit and JetBlue? Yeah, and, and and look, those aren't its only competitors. I mean, it, it's an important spoke market for uh, Delta, especially. Delta has its own terminal at Fort Lauderdale that, uh, you know, the, the Going back years, Delta was the biggest airline there. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, more than a decade since that was the case. Uh, uh, but you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a it's a very rapidly growing airport. Um, the the uh, among the hundred fastest growing airports in the world, Fort Lauderdale is the fastest growing. I mean, you're talking about like twenty percent, uh, uh, you know, year over year growth there. So um, it's a lot of new supply. Uh, and, um, you know, the, those, the, all the airlines have to absorb it, um, you know, and, and Southwest, especially, you know, because it doesn't charge for bags and all the rest of it kind of has to get higher, uh, higher base fares. Um, it also doesn't distribute through the, you know, global distribution systems and, and, and all that. So, you know, it has to drive the traffic directly to its, its website, kind of at a, a disadvantage in that regard against its competitors, because somebody who's you know, doesn't know what airlines fly to Fort Lauderdale if they search in Expedia or Kayak or wherever they're going to see JetBlue and Spirit, not going to see Southwest. But anyway, yeah, no, it's 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 uh you know it's a lot for all of them to absorb. I mean, JetBlue has 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 huge ambitions there. They've they've grown very very rapidly. Uh, it's a, a very big focus for them. Uh, and and so if anything, that's that's um that's a bigger issue for JetBlue than it is for Southwest, only because Fort Lauderdale is a much bigger percentage of 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 JetBlue's overall business. You know, Southwest is a far larger airline. Um, so again, I think you know whatever kind of yield degradation is happening there, as as everybody uh, goes at each other's throats, 
you know, in Fort Lauderdale, just as much of a problem for Southwest as it is for for uh, Spirit and JetBlue. Um, but in a sense, uh, less of a problem for Southwest than it is for those other two, only because Fort Lauderdale is a much smaller percentage uh, of its over- overall business. For Spirit, obviously, it's, it's, it is its headquarter city. And, uh, you know, for JetBlue, a very, very big focus. Uh, and they're all competing in a lot of same domestic markets and uh, you know, to to now the uh, the Caribbean, Southwest getting ready to open a uh, uh, new concourse at, at Terminal One. There, uh, a new ability to process incoming international passengers at that at that terminal. Um, so uh, yeah, not not letting up anytime soon here. The uh, the growth at Fort Lauderdale. How does Fort Lauderdale compare to the other competitive airlines in the country? You know, we've talked a lot about Seattle as being just a uh, a bloodbath. Is is Fort Lauderdale shaping up to be something similar to that or worse or yeah you know every year I mean it, it, it kind of ebbs and flows at, at these kinds of airports so Seattle is sort of um, stabilizing now uh, I mean it's, it's still growth airport but, um, Seattle also has a very healthy local economy um, it, it, it's it's one of the one of the hottest economies uh, in, in in the country um, yeah no but Fort Lauderdale right now um, but by the way a couple of years ago Miami was growing as as as, uh, as fast as almost any uh, U.S. airport. That's when things in in uh, Latin America were still booming. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, although the worst seems to be behind countries like Brazil. Uh, you know, the, the just the economic contraction in Brazil, especially, but softness in, in other countries too, has caused things to uh, slow in Miami. Fort Lauderdale doesn't have nearly as much of of, of that exposure. Um, but yeah, no, it it. it uh, Right now is well, as I said, you know, sort of the, the fastest growing, uh, sizable airport really in the world, not not just not just in the U.S. So uh, hard, hard to think of a place um, that is uh, right now quite the battleground for Fort Lauderdale is, um, where you have these three airlines. I mean, three low cost carriers, all with their own models, but three low cost carriers, uh, all growing uh, very very rapidly, and they all consider it very strategically important uh you know no no, no sign that any of them are, are ready to redirect their uh their attention elsewhere the paris air show is underway and that always makes for it a good time to talk about aircraft airbus is studying an idea called the a380 plus which is essentially an a380 that includes winglets and 80 additional seats would these changes be enough to get airlines buying the a380 again well, Jason, I think you said it. You said it, it. It's an idea called the A380 Plus, not an airplane, right? And uh, right. Uh, and, and and I think that sort of highlights the uh, the challenge here. Um, you know, you know, Boeing unveiled the uh, the seven thirty seven uh, Max ten this week, but they had orders to go along with it, right? Um, so so uh, you know that that's the difference. That that's a. Uh, um, uh, you know, stretched aircraft, and you know, we're, we're Boeing thought there was some demand, and and uh, you know, very clearly, uh, there is now that, that. By the way, is a situation where Airbus had the upper hand. The A three twenty one Neo is just one of the most popular airplanes in the world, and the, the Max ten is is uh, um, just sort of Boeing's attempt to somewhat try to compete. Although it can't match the A three twenty one Neo in in, in range. Uh, but back to your question, um, yeah, I mean, it's. It, it, uh, it, it, sure. I mean, it's it, it it sounds like as an airline you would want to have that as an option, um, but whether it's enough to make you want to buy a three eighties, you know, to just get into that whole program, 
uh, is is uh, is a whole separate question. It, there's there's the, the the vicious cycle seems to continue where uh, for for an airplane like that, you know, there aren't too many airlines in the world that uh, that need very many of them. And if you don't need very many of of something of anything, then it kind of becomes hard to justify buying any of it, you know, because there's no, uh, it, it it it's just not efficient to have um you know four of something of anything, uh and and so uh you know there there may be airlines that say yeah you know what we'd love to be able to up you know to just get as many seats as we can into uh you know I don't know London Heathrow or you know capacity constrained airport like that that can handle the A three eighty, um but if they you know if they can't figure out what what they're going to do with a dozen of them. Um, then it pretty it becomes pretty hard to justify getting one. And again, sort of the broader context here is that uh, you just no longer need quad engine airplanes to put a lot of seats on an airplane uh, or to or to fly a really long way. I think Emirates puts 427 seats on the on one of its versions of the triple seven dash three hundred ER. Uh, you know, 427 seats on a twin engine airplane that can fly a really long way, you know? So, so it's, it's, uh, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, I think they're smart to put this out there. Um, they obviously haven't, you know, invested too much in it, uh, yet, but, um, so yeah, dangle out there, see if, see if there's, uh, if there's some interest, uh, but, uh, hard, hard to be too optimistic until somebody, you know, come, comes forth with, uh, with, with some deposits. The struggling wide-body market seems to have cast a shadow over the air show. After two days, orders have certainly been slow. But should we be dour about it? Well, and I, I think that's the even broader context with the, with the A380 Plus, right? That, you know, maybe, who knows, had they done this, um, you know, five years ago, uh, just when the overall appetite for wide-body aircraft was was uh, was more voracious, uh, you know, may, maybe there would have been a, t- a taker. I mean, right now we're talking about a situation where um, even the sort of better received wide-body aircraft uh, aren't generating very much. I just saw a you know, press release uh, not long ago. Ethiopian ordered another, you know, ten A350s. Um, A350s, you know, been, been a successful program, but but that's that's the kind of thing we're talking about this year. You know, when when you're um, you know, when when the excitement is about Ethiopian ordering, you know, ten of something in the wide body space, I'm talking, uh, you know, rather than Emirates ordering another uh, 75A380s or whatever, that's you know, it, it just sort of recalibrates the uh, the expectations here. Um, and yeah, difficult to be to be too optimistic right now um, about the wide body space again until you know uh, until until proven otherwise. And there was Boeing's tease of its 797, which is still many years away from delivery. As I understand it, Boeing claims there's a big enough market between 737s and 787s for the 797 to fill. Uh, What are your thoughts on this so-called middle market airplane? Well, yeah, I mean, look, airlines, you know, again, I mean, they always like to have that to to choose from. you know the 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 gap is now a little bit smaller than it was because of the of the Max Ten. Um, so here's here's you know an airplane that can hold a, a you know a, a significant number of people. Uh, the the range is still uh, an, an issue there. Um, whereas with the A three twenty one Neo, you know it, it can hold a whole lot of people and and fly you know whatever it is you know. 4,400 nautical miles or something, I think is, is the uh, pr- promised range. So, um, so yeah, you know, there's not, not a, not a, not really 
a huge capacity gap at this point between the uh, the Max 10 and the the uh, 787-8. Um, but yeah, but Boeing still doesn't have an airplane um, with uh, with you know with really transatlantic range. Uh, you know where you could fly from any from very many places. Let's say in in uh, in in North America to very many places with uh, with Europe uh, uh, within Europe. So um, you know there's some amount of demand out there. Uh, and then it's going to be for Boeing, though, to determine whether there's enough demand to uh, to uh, uh, to commit to the program. Uh, you know, presumably just just because of, of all the time that's passed uh, since you know the, the aircraft that are out there now, uh, or that will have passed between you know the aircraft that have been that are that are entering service now and and the uh, and when the you know a future seven nine seven engine service it would, it would also just be a a more efficient aircraft just because of uh you know it'll be new engine technology by then and you know it, even lighter airframe and all and all the rest of it and the 797 raises another serious question the 707 is something like 60 plus years old with the 797 will we finally run out of sevens hmm you mean you didn't lead with this question? You know, all that silliness about blockades and everything? This is the uh, most important thing you've asked all day, yeah. <laughs> well, whether we run out of sevens or not, I do know that we, uh, we've we run out of time. Make sure you check out Airline Weekly's complete coverage of the Paris Air Show in the upcoming issue. And if you haven't already, check out this past week's issue with the Southwest cover story. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. Thanks for spending some time with us in the Airline Weekly Lounge. This episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge was sponsored by IATA Training. Visit www.iata.org training to discover more than 350 courses to help boost your career in aviation. That's iata.org training.